we find ourselves now at the August 19th mark, which seems like it is close to the end of 2022. Yet, inputting certain figures into the year-ometer would indicate the passage of time has not passed the threshold of two-thirds. If numbers aren't your metric, consider the sun will rise and fall 34 more times before the fall equinox. Either way, this is another Friday edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement, intended to bring you information you may need between now and then. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. In the next several hundred words, the Albemarle County Economic Development Authority has endorsed a $600,000 payout for Habitat for Humanity's redevelopment at Southwood. The Charlottesville Alliance for Black Male Achievement is holding an event this Sunday to get students ready for the beginning of the school year next Wednesday. There's a new principal at Charlottesville High School and two elementary schools in the city. And the Virginia Department of Wildlife Resources took steps this week to restore an endangered species to the James River. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, Livable Seaville wants you to mark your calendar for August 31st for an educational talk about the next steps in the Seaville Plans Together initiative. They've invited James Fries, the city's director of Neighborhood Development Services, to talk about the rewrite of the city's zoning ordinance in an online webinar. The talk will include a presentation on the draft zoning diagnostic and approach report and the soon-to-be-released Market Analysis Inclusionary Zoning Study. The talk begins at 5.30 p.m. and will include a question-and-answer period. Sign up to get your place at the virtual table for Livable Seaville's update and next steps for the Seaville Plans Together initiative on August 31st. Work continues to redevelop the Southwood Mobile Home Park as a mixed-use community that will offer new homes to those who have lived there. The chief executive officer of Habitat for Humanity of Greater Charlottesville gave an update to the Albemarle County Economic Development Authority on Tuesday. So when Southwood's done, it'll be somewhere between 1,000 and 1,100 homes. Uh, up to 700 of them will be affordable, depending on um, subsidies that we get and how things develop. Habitat entered into a performance agreement with Albemarle and the Economic Development Authority to provide a certain amount of affordable housing in exchange for financial payments and tax breaks. Our work at Southwood is part and parcel of our larger scale work to create mixed income neighborhoods and affordable home ownership in the region. Um, we were a pioneer in this. We were the first Habitat nationally to do it, and we were in the first in the country to do mixed income neighborhoods. We've now done 10 mixed income neighborhoods in the area and built almost 300 habitat homes in those neighborhoods. Rosenzweig said in 2004, Habitat stepped in to save the Sunrise Trailer Park in Charlottesville from development. And the result is a mixed use community. Sunrise today is a neighborhood of front porches and back porches and open space for the community to use. To our knowledge, it's the nation's first uh, mobile home transformation without resident displacement. And that sort of set us up for Southwood. Habitat purchased the land in 2007 and the agency has operated it ever since. Uh, it was a mess, um, to be honest with you. There were fires, um, trailers catching on fire, sewage bubbling up out of uh, into people's trailers through their um, through their um, commodes. Um, 
Uh, and it's large. Uh, it's uh, it's on an enormous scale. Rosenzweig said Habitat invested in infrastructure and entered into an agreement with Albemarle County for how redevelopment would work as a collaborative relationship, as well as the performance agreement worth $3.2 million in both cash and tax rebates. Our deliverables in the first phase, this is not for all of Southwood, it's just the phase that's currently under construction, there's 75 affordable homes. And our milestones are multiple. Um, we had to um, uh, uh, meet milestones in terms of, of submitting for building permits, uh, getting a low-income housing tax credit apartment uh, under contract. The latest milestone was to raise at least 95% of the funds necessary to purchase the building materials for those units. That released an appropriation of $600,000. We're overperforming that performance agreement by quite a bit in that first phase. Uh, per the performance agreement, we promised 75 affordable homes. Um, in the first phase alone, we're, we're building 207 affordable homes. As part of the first phase, the Piedmont Housing Alliance is constructing an apartment building financed through low-income housing tax credits. Rosenzweig said construction of two Habitat homes is almost complete, and site work is underway for the rest. The second phase of the project still needs the Board of Supervisors to approve a rezoning, and this will go before that body on September 21st. Full build-out of the project will take another dozen or so years, according to Rosenzweig. As part of phase two, we're planning a business incubation center in a little bit neighborhood downtown. Um, some of the uses we're, uh, we're trying to attract are a shared commercial kitchen, uh, a business incubation center, um, a, a cafe, um, early childhood education center, and a host and potentially some other non-residential uses, such as a credit union. Habitat has offered to reserve seven acres for a school that Rosenzweig hoped would be more urban in scale, with at least two and a half stories. However, they can't give the land over for free. Uh, in the $500 million uh, uh, cost of Southwood, the by far the largest uh, contribution filling up the bucket is market rate lot sales. And so if we were to give that away, um, you know, we would lose uh, tens of millions of dollars of lot sales, which cross subsidize the affordable. What we have done is proportionally offered a discount if the school would like to purchase it. The final determination of what will happen remains to be seen, especially with a rezoning vote pending. Deputy County Executive Doug Walker weighed in. Um, there is ongoing dialogue between the planning staff and the school staff about the viability of this site for, 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 for their plans and so that we can be in a position to be able to um, uh, share with the board of supervisors whether this is a viable site or not. So I do know that those conversations are, are ongoing. Rosenzweig said the way the proffer is worded gives the county until 2027 to make that decision. The EDA unanimously approved a resolution to acknowledge the latest milestone and release the $600,000. I'll have more from the Albemarle EDA meeting in a future installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. We are now five days away from when school will go back into session in Albemarle County and Charlottesville. There will be some new faces at some schools. Rashad Pitt took over as the principal of Charlottesville High School earlier this week after serving most recently as assistant principal of George Wythe High School in Richmond. 
Pitt began his educational career teaching history in Petersburg City Public Schools and has also worked in Chesterfield County, Hampton City Schools, and the Virginia Department of Juvenile Justice. According to a release, his area of expertise includes community outreach, restorative justice, instructional leadership, and professional development. Pitt succeeds Eric Irizarry, who stepped down after six years at CHS to become Director of Equity, Family, and Community Relations for Albemarle County Public Schools. In a news release, Pitt is quoted to say that he is excited to begin the next chapter, and he wants to build on the strong success and good work of Dr. Irizarry. Two other principals in Charlottesville have been promoted from within the school division. Chantel Beverly is the new principal at Venable Elementary School. Beverly has been assistant principal at Greenbrier Elementary since 2019, after teaching in Petersburg and Richmond. Carmela Johnson took over as principal at Clark Elementary School in July. Since 2017, she has been an assistant principal and instructional coach at Johnson Elementary School. And before that, Johnson taught at Greenbrier for 10 years. With school fast approaching, it's time for many to get their appearance ready. This Sunday, several groups will gather at the Boys and Girls Club at Buford Middle School for a back-to-school bash from 2 p.m. to 7 p.m. There will be free haircuts, among other things. The Charlottesville Alliance for Black Male Achievement is organizing the event with 100 black men of Central Virginia, House of Cuts Barbershop, the Uhuru Foundation, Peace in the Streets, as well as the Boys and Girls Club of Charlottesville. Here's a section from a press release on the city's website. Free haircuts, braids, and raffle prizes will be available, and prolific running crew will be giving out free shoes to high school students. De La Roll will provide free skate lessons to those interested as well. The event is open to all. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported public service announcement, Camp Albemarle wants you to know that for 60 years, they have been a wholesome, rural, rustic, and restful site for youth activities, church groups, civic events, and occasional private programs. Located on 14 acres on the banks of the Mormons River near Free Union, Camp Albemarle continues as a legacy of being a Civilian Conservation Corps project that sought to promote the importance of rural activities. Camp Albemarle seeks support for a plan to winterize the Hamner Lodge, a structure built in 1941 by the CCC and used by every 4th and 5th grade student in Charlottesville and Albemarle for the study of ecology for over 20 years. If this campaign is successful, Camp Albemarle could operate year-round. Consider your support by visiting campalbemarleva.org slash donate. And one more segment today, and it's a little different from usual, but kind of cool. A small invertebrate that scientifically goes by the name James River Spiny Mussel has not been seen alive in the waterway it's named for since the late 1960s. We're pretty confident that they're extirpated from the main stem river, and even if they're still out there, they're probably at such low levels that they're not really biologically functioning like they should. That's Brian Watson, a top biologist for freshwater mussels at the Virginia Department of Wildlife Resources. 
On Wednesday morning, Watson and his crews were at five locations on the James River to reintroduce about 1,300 individuals back into the waterway. These were all raised at a mussel hatchery in Charles City. The goal is to repopulate a species that is one of dozens of freshwater mussels that used to be commonplace in what is now North Carolina, Virginia, and West Virginia. For many years, biologists in Virginia have taken this seriously. We have about 80 species, um, which ranks us about sixth in the United States as far as diversity. Watson said there are roughly 900 species of freshwater mussels across the globe, and around 300 are in the United States. One of those species is the James River spiny mussel, which is on the federal endangered species list as critically endangered. Watson said mussels play an important role in the ecosystem, as they feed from their position on the beds of rivers and lakes, filtering water for food and nutrients. You know, we often talk about freshwater mussels as the you know, livers of the river. Um, when you've heard about historically about how uh, oysters could clear the Chesapeake Bay, you know, the entire water volume within about a month when the oysters were at their heyday. Freshwater mussels you know, used to do a similar thing to our freshwater creeks and streams and rivers. For decades, aquatic biologists have sought to restore creatures back to habitats that slowly become uninhabitable due to all sorts of pollution. An interesting adjective to describe mussels is benthic which means anything that lives on the bed of a water body. And since these are benthic organisms that live in the stream bottoms and they don't move around like freshwater fishes do, um, you know, they're relatively good indicators of water quality. So if something's going you know, wrong at a site or there's a change for the negative for water quality, um, you know, mussels are usually going to give you an indication that something's going on. To get mussels to be in a place takes a lot of factors. So Watson said putting them back in a former habitat from which they've disappeared means a lot of biological steps will need to be taken. Um, they kind of have a unique life cycle for an invertebrate. They are a obligate parasite. Most of them are. They have a larvae that they have um, that typically has to attach to a particular fish species to complete their life cycle. Um, so it's a relatively small larvae you know, that the females hold inside of their gills. Watson said a small shell that looks like a Pac-Man will snap shut when, in the presence of the fish, to hitch a ride. They'll use chub, minnow, or several other species. You know, if they're successful to stay on the fish, they will transform into a juvenile, drop off the fish, and then if they happen to drop off in a suitable location and conditions are right, then they grow to be a sub-adult, then an adult's. If the fish have moved on, then the life cycle is interrupted. Some species of mussels can live for decades, but they may die out if the waters are impaired. For decades, biologists have been restoring fish to rivers made more habitable by the Clean Water Act. Now, research into doing the same thing for invertebrates, including this release of the James River spiny mussel. To make that work, the Virginia Department of Wildlife Resources has approached local governments in Albemarle, Buckingham, and Fluvanna counties to ask for permission, even if it might strictly not be necessary. The way the language reads in our current regulation is that if we're going to introduce any new species to an area that is a game animal, a game bird, or a fish, that we need the authority and the cooperation of the local government for the locality which they'll be released into 
Um, and so when you look at that language, it doesn't specifically say a freshwater mussel or invertebrates. Watson said notifications have been made because of the regulated nature of the James River spiny mussel. In Albemarle, its presence in the 1980s was enough to put regulatory approval of the Buck Mountain Reservoir in doubt, and the project was abandoned. In 2022, Albemarle's consent for the release was on the consent agenda for their May 18th meeting. Watson had an audience with the Buckingham County Supervisors earlier this month, but has not heard back from Fluvanna as of this Tuesday when our interview was conducted. The project definitely has the support of Matt Lawless, the administrator of the town of Scottsville. Having a a healthy and scenic river that's um, accessible and safe for everybody to use is what Scottsville is all about. That's been our our history for hundreds of years. And um, we feel really responsible for our little piece of the river. And um, and we take its quality and its health very seriously. The individual mussels released are all over three years old. And Watson said they should be ready to reproduce. Right now, we would consider them adult mussels. They should be uh, reproductively mature so that when they're released into the river, you know, assuming that everything goes right, that they should start reproducing, you know, next year um, or, you know, within the first few years that they're out in the river. So they're not young individuals that are just dropping off of the fish. The work to propagate mussels dates back to the late 90s, and Watson said teams used to send them out at an earlier stage in the life cycle. The results were not successful. This batch has been kept in the hatchery longer than usual due to various approval processes. So how will Watson and his team measure success? There are three metrics. First, they'll check to see how many survive. The second is, are they reproducing after we put them out? So at that certain time of the year when the females will have those larvae inside of them, we will try to monitor those locations and check some of those animals to see um, if they are what we call gravid or not. And that's when the females have the larvae inside their gills. The third step is to see if those larvae can get onto the fish as part of their role as obligate parasite. All of the individuals that went out this week are tagged so they can be monitored. So the hope will be is as we monitor these in the future, if we start to see younger individuals that do not have tags on them, then that tells us that they are new individuals that are recruiting into the population. Watson said it is inevitable that many of the introduced species will float downstream over time and that they won't be detectable. Still, he predicts survival rates will be high. Monitoring efforts will continue, and Watson said people should be patient for results. That it could take, you know, a decade or two to actually see some going on. There's been some restoration recovery work with rare mussels out in the Mississippi River where they put lots and lots of individuals out there. Um, when you're talking like thousands to tens of thousands of animals out in spots, and they're just now starting to see recruitment in some of these areas where they place large numbers, and you're talking, you know, like a decade later. And that's it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement for August 19th, 2022. Now, over the last few weeks, I have actually been reading from a script when I do this last part, but I forgot to write that um, for today. So this is all off the cuff. Uh, This, of course, is a project of Town Crier Productions. And if you uh, are supporting it so far, thank you so much. 
Uh, it is quite a thrill to try to put a business together to get things like this moving. It's kind of like repopulating freshwater mussels, kind of. Maybe, who knows? Um, the way us humans work is every bit as mysterious as the way freshwater mussels work and at least individual species don't always know what's going on. And the goal of Charlottesville Community Engagement is to try to do as much as I can to give you as much perspective as I can about what I think is going on based on my years as a journalist committed to uh, the civics, you know, the municipal stuff, the boring things that really are the backbone that make up all of our lives. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of this program. Uh, if you would like to support the program, you know how to do it by now. Read it in the newsletter. I'm not going to pollute this one with more pitching. Gosh, this Sean Tubbs, I swear. Well, that's me, and I will be back in the near future with another installment of this program. When will it be? Will it be tomorrow? Will it be Monday? There will definitely be the government glance and the week ahead coming out on Sunday. There is so much for me to get to, so there very well could be an episode tomorrow. I just don't know yet. It is mysterious, and you'll have to check back. I'm Sean Tubbs. Thank you very much. Uh, stay, uh, stay filtering, stay flowing, stay in the knowing. Um, and all of that. Thank you very much. There is no punchline at the end of this one. Goodbye. Goodbye.